All right, Paul. This is something we've all been waiting for. We're finally going to do it. We're going to talk about Brew. No, no, no wait, uh, Ben. We don't talk about what? him. No, it's like a, a, a Voldemort thing or, or, or Beetlejuice or Candyman or that terrible 2009 Sasha Baron Cohen movie, Bruno. We don't talk about it. Why don't we talk about him? Because something bad will happen. Not on my podcast. You mean our podcast? Whatever. Here we go. We're going to talk about Bruno. Welcome to the reviewers. We're on a mission from God. Well, Ben, the damage is done. You already said it. So I guess we I guess we got to talk about Bruno, Bruno and the entire Madrigal family. Today we are talking about Encanto. Uh you, you know, I've I've recognized this is our third episode of the reviewers. Welcome, everybody. My name is Welcome. Paul. Here with Ben, my buddy Ben, and uh, and our third episode, uh, Ben. We've got we've had a musical theme going on so far. Have you recognized Coda wasn't? <laughs> it wasn't a musical yeah. necessarily, but it, sure. it was very. Uh, it was a big theme of the movie. Totally, it's a huge theme. Yeah. Last week uh, was. <laughs> You told me later, uh, I had convinced you that it was one of the greatest musicals you've ever seen in your life. Um, yeah, that's exactly what I said. That's that. That's exactly what I said. More or less um, what you said, Diana, the musical. And uh, and so now we're reviewing Encanto, um, yeah. but also so three very different types of, you know, one is a, a film film. One is a film adaptation of a theatrical play. And this is, of course, an animated film. Uh, uh, a, a huge one by Disney uh, came yeah. out the end of 2021 um, yeah. big success uh, especially for for COVID days and in these adjusted times it did well at the box office it, it yeah. did really well once it hit Disney plus it's got great scores on Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic and all that good stuff um, my kids a lot of good stuff love there. it I mean yeah yeah do they did you, did you you watched it with them? Do they do they watch it pretty much nonstop? There is so Are much content. There is so much content out there right now that that yeah. they uh, don't watch anything pretty much on a loop like we used to do with the with the right. big VHSs. I'll tell you a quick sidebar: what they yeah. do watch, which is just amazing to me, are these YouTube personalities. Yeah, oh my goodness, who yeah. have names like Mr. Beast and and unspeakable oh what do they enough, do what much like What's bruno the... his name is unspeakable they what do they do that's a great question what? ben they do yeah. things that you and i used to do as bored adolescents put mentos <laughs> in two liter bottles of pepsi and drop it from a roof uh see how many packing peanuts you can uh, pile into a shower they do just just stupid <laughs> stuff and these guys are multi-millionaires that's the crazy thing is they're like 10 years old doing what we did they just had a they have a they have a cell phone and Ex so now they're millionaires exactly oh that's... the money we could have made uh, dude hey speaking of ben we still have a uh a wild card in our back pocket that, that? oh don't ask what that is you remember a little movie that, that you me and and our oh, friend 
um, our friend Bobby made um, one one That's evening. True. We were the original YouTubers. The we, money we could have made off of uh, if, off of like that that we did. I, I guarantee you, if that was the first thing that hit YouTube, YouTube would not have worked. YouTube would, <laughs> we would have people would have been like, "This is a horrible idea. We don't need this." But we would have been the Orber, or Orville and Wilbur Wright of YouTube. We would have made it about eighty feet. Uh, <laughs> we would forever take credit, but we really wouldn't have gone that far. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We, we'd have been like eighty views. This is awesome. Oh, uh, so, yeah. But we yeah. don't talk about that either. So. We don't talk about that. Um, <laughs> maybe like if we ever make it to like a hundred episodes or something, we can, we can do a special review of that, that little oh, film goodness. that we made. Um, um, too funny. I forget yeah. About too funny. Anyway. So yes, my boys have seen it uh, yep. multiple times um, sure. and they watched it with me the other night, which was actually my first full viewing of yeah. it. You know, it's apparent you get bits and pieces as you walk in and out of the room, but we hadn't sat down to watch it together. Um, so what about you? What's your history with it? Yeah, I just watched it for the first time this past week. I had not, I had not seen it. I mean, I knew the um, the song. I mean, we don't talk about Bruno. That was mm-hmm. a song um, that pretty much all the kids in my church were singing for, and parents were humming, and 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 it was in everybody. It was the earworm of um, the end of the year last year and the beginning of the year this year. Um, and so there was tons of people singing it, but that was the only thing I knew about it. Um, obviously like I in knew service. Was, is that when y'all sing, y'all sing it in, in service? We do. We changed the lyrics. We changed oh. the lyrics a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, we don't talk about Judas. We, 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's how we changed it. Um, but it, it wasn't really that big of a hit. Um, no. tried it during it's because week. y'all included the lyrics about like him, you know, falling in the field and this bowel spilling out and all that sort of stuff. I told yeah, you probably, that was not good for kids. You should have cut the fourth verse. That's, yeah, that's true. That's <laughs> we should right. have stopped with three. You, yeah, right. you should have stopped. It's a magic uh, number. Man. Yeah. Lord. Well, we've, so we, I watched it earlier this week. Um, and I mean, I grew up a huge Disney fan. Like I loved, uh, I mean, we, we obviously grew up at the same time and um, the, the big ones of the day, Lion King and Aladdin kind of came out like right in our prime childhood, mm-hmm. I feel like. And of course there were ones before Little Mermaid and all that type of thing that were great. Um, but I just feel like, I, I mean, I, yeah, I watched it. I was, I didn't know the storyline. I mean, I knew that it was set in um, Colombia um, or, or like Latin America. I think it's Colombia. It's Colombia. Yeah. Yeah. Where um, the setting is and uh, which I love and, and appreciate the fact that like Disney's moving around the world um, and making sure that yes. it's, yeah, it's that's representative cool. of different groups, which is pretty fun. Um, and I knew that there was some, there was like a touch of magic to it. Um, and I think that like just maybe the, the, the last name Madrigal um, kind of like even, planted that seed Mm -hmm. um to think that it was about some type of like mystical magical premise but i didn't Mm -hmm. know anything other than that so i um i didn't know what even encanto means um uh the word means which did you look it up i think i did well i thought i did i think it is in a lyric doesn't it say in a like place of wonder or something Um, uh i think I, i think they probably do say it somewhere because in the middle of it Steve, uh, Steven is is my oldest, and he looked at me and he said, "You know, uh, encanto means enchantment." And Enchant- I'm I'm like yeah. I'm like I'm pretty sure you didn't learn that at school. So I think they did yeah. say it in a lyric, and he just repeated it to me. But but like I've got enchantment, charm, wonder. That type yeah, of thing. yeah, I've actually yeah, uh, yeah I'll, it'll come up later. I've got a, a thought on uh, on you know 
why they might have named it that too. But yeah, mm. keep going. Yeah. Well, that's it. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I saw it for the first time and um, I'm hooked. I, the, you know, I feel like it's the type of movie where, so let me just confess this. I'm the type of person that has to watch movies now with subtitles on at all times. Uh, ben, because ben. especially in songs when they're singing and I'm, oh. uh, my wife makes fun of me constantly mm. for having the subtitles, but I, uh, I appreciate things more and I'm really good now at being able to watch the movie and kind of out of like the corner of my eye or, or bottom of my eye, whatever. Um, I'm able to like read and follow along and I appreciate it. And especially yeah. this movie because of so much singing and it's got, um, you know, the accent and the kind of the Spanish and the, the pace of the singing is a little bit faster. And yeah. so you, um, there's no way I'd be able to follow all that the first time, absolutely. but I do want to go back and watch it um, again. Um, absolutely. So first, yeah, so. let me tell you, thank you for being brave and yeah. brave sharing space. that because that your bravery has inspired me to likewise confess i'm a big subtitle guy i, I have Huge, good. i have to have them likewise uh, my yeah, wife m- makes fun of me um but i am the type of person who i want to hear every little thing uh yep. to the point that if i miss something it, many times i'll you know do the 15 seconds rewind type oh, of type of thing. i did that about 10 times in this movie yeah um yeah uh, there's a couple of parts that we'll talk about later but i did i had to do that 10 times because i was like i didn't understand how that person pivoted and i think it was i was distracted too while watching but yeah, yeah i want to hear every little detail um and i want to hear every rhyme and i want to make sure i get the rhyme right especially with the songs you know mm-hmm. uh, if i'm gonna sing along i'm exactly. a stickler for correct lyrics well and you know so, they have a sing-along version i'm sure they do but i haven't seen it yet have you all done yeah it? No, I, I haven't. I was haven't just saying. It. I mean, <laughs> that's a quick, that's quick. Yeah, of course. No, we've done <laughs> no, yeah, I agree. Right, yeah, yeah. Only every morning. Um, yeah. <laughs> no. Uh, well, and you also, speaking of the quickness of the lyrics, you know, part of that, I think, is, is due to that Colombian, you know, just that high energy um, yeah. uh, musical quality. But I also think uh, we haven't named it yet, but all these songs are uh, written by Lynn manuel Miranda. And yeah. dude, I don't know. I don't say this as a knock at all because I think, I mean, he's just, he's a lyrical uh, genius. Yep. But you can tell when you are listening to um, a song that, that he has written. Yeah. There's just, there's like, I was one when Hamilton came out, you know, I was listening to the soundtrack constantly have basically every song memorized all that. And so then when, you know, I started listening to Into Heights. It was very easy to to recognize. You know, oh, these are the you know the connective little tissues there. And he, I know he did some for um, oh, the movie about the Hawaiian, um, the Hawaiian Disney movie, Moana, Moana, Moana. yeah, yeah, sure. and and in you can you can feel you know, his presence there. And, and also the same thing here, you know, there's just the way that he can uh, string together um, totally so many thoughts, so many themes, so many deep concepts, uh, but, in a, but in a playful and fun way, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. In, a, in, a, in a catchy way. Yeah. 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 It's, um, you know, I admire whether you like the music or whatever or not. I admire the folks like like in, in Eminem or um, sure. 
you know, I've always loved Billy Joel. Yeah, I, I know you're a big Billy Joel fan too. Yep, you know, absolutely. because um, just there's just such a genius in in the lyrics. You know, yeah, and right. I think that really comes through in um, in these songs. So yeah. they, they're a big. They are more than just uh, placeholders. They they help move the plot and the action forward. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting just to see how that that the the um the lyricists and songwriters for Disney movies have changed. I mean, you know, Elton John did um, uh, Lion King. um, And then now we have Lin-Manuel Miranda. And, and, but the the interesting thing is even with Lion King, you can tell it's Elton John in in my opinion. I mean, I'm a huge Elton John fan um, Mm -hmm. and a little bit of a, um, of a follower there big time. Uh, But I, I think that you can, any, any, musician or artist that has the ability to leave their thumbprint in a way that mm-hmm. um and it's a distinct mark of their style mm-hmm. um which many artists can do but few can do i think as distinctly as lemon Wilmer and then it'd be it'd just right. instantly recognizable but also depth like yep. it'd, be, it'd be be deep um as well um, yeah yeah um great. note for the listeners uh yeah. to whom you are endearing yourself with every episode um and this will only help along that end uh, you want to know how much you love Elton John? Yeah, how much do I love Elton John? I, you love him so much that when you were in our high school womanless pageant, um, <laughs> your name was Benny Antoinette. Benny, Benny, Benny Antoinette. I remember. Um, I, I remember that. Um, yeah, and you know, and I you played. Uh, you I played, played and sang. Uh, yeah. yeah, with uh, with uh, Mr. Daughtry, with Kevin Daughtry. Yeah. I we sang a duet. We sang uh, "Don't Go Breaking My Heart" um, <laughs> together, um, and I dragged my English teacher, my junior English teacher, into that. Uh, yeah, and you didn't win that somehow. performance. Did you? I didn't win. No, I know. No, 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 no. I, I, uh, no, I lost. Hmm. I was first loser. Um, I think. <laughs> um i uh, came in second place yeah. oh well, i don't even know if we came in second place i just i made that up no but they did they, yeah, they, they, they they have second place because yeah. i was i was the runner-up one year myself and it, yeah. it broke my heart but yeah but well, we move on i digress yeah <laughs> so so, so back in to the movie. yeah um, <laughs> right <laughs> yeah yeah how do you how do you want to tackle it man you want to yeah it seems like there, <clears throat> there's just yeah. more energy coming from you from this than there sure. was with Diana. Diana. And so mm-hmm. I, I, I just kind of want to cut the reins and, and let you run free. Go ahead and, and talk about why you love this. Um, there are multiple reasons why I love this. Uh, I mean, there's, there's the quality of the movie itself. Uh, you know, I do love the, the music of it. I do love just the way that like uh, Disney has developed in terms of their colors and in terms of their, mm-hmm. uh, the, the way that their graphics work and everything and their design. Um, I do the thing that I mentioned earlier, which I, I adore is I love any Disney movie that takes place out of the United States. And that's not, not against the United States. It's always just a fascination with another culture. And I appreciate them. Yeah. Um, and, and the ability to um, dive into a different culture Um uh, for a little bit um, and live there it, to me is always life-giving and um, perspective broadening and appreciation deepening um, yes. kind of on all levels, even if it's in a genre that's like a children's movie. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that's kind of the, sometimes the easiest way to enter into um, a different cultures. So I love, I love that approach. I think it's great, but I, the, the, the reason why I loved it, so Paul, this is another movie. Um, confession number two for this episode. Mm. One subtitles two. I got a little choked up there with a 
couple of uh, in a couple of moments. Not gonna lie. Um, and and uh, I watched it by myself. Thank goodness, because Ooh. it would have taken a, a, a tight jaw lock to like you know <laughs> in front of people to like hold it in. Um, and there was a little bit of a quiver at a couple of points. I just thought it kind of cracked into. Um, a lot of deep, uh, a lot of deep theological themes. I'm a kind of, we can, we can talk about in just a second, but also just again, anytime you start bringing in family, um, into these conversations and you start bringing in children and you start bringing in gifts and magic and the wonder of children, you know, uh, as a new dad, it just kind of, it, uh, yeah, I'm, you know, that, that, that's the, that's the thing for me. Yeah, man. No, the kids will mess you up. Yeah. Watching movies with, once you have kids, it's just, it's a entirely different. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to be the dad that lets my kids watch horror movies. Doesn't let my kid watch children's movies. Cause I don't <laughs> want them to see me crying in front of them. Right. You know, uh, right. watch whatever R rated movie you want to watch. It's the PG and G movies. We got to watch out for So yeah. uh, right. Dad, not Freddy Krueger again. <laughs> so, um, no, you know, speak, you spoke about different, musical artists having yeah. having these distinct you know thumbprints and things i think that's a that's a marker at this point of of a disney movie and and to a degree other um animation studios have have caught up i think you know yeah. um totally. dreamworks and and others yep. but for a while for a long while uh, it was disney and and they are the ones who certainly you know charted the course <laughs> for how to do that because they they um when i say disney you know i think even pixar before then when pixar was its its own less connected to disney um yeah they have figured out how to tell a story that is engaging for children first and foremost because you gotta that's that's the money right there that's what helps you to make more movies yep but that is also engaging for the adults, funny for the adults, good yep. story. Um, but that it, it speaks a deep, deep truth that, yep. uh, that is just very poignant and, and beautiful. And, uh, so that they did it again with this one. And, and you want to know what I found to be very, very unique with this. And I don't know if, this gets us into theological themes or not, but pretty much every movie, there's a bad guy, mm-hmm. right? Right. There's a villain. Mm-hmm. Where's the villain in this? Yeah, that's the, that's the interesting thing. Yeah, that's great. I mean, it's a great point um, because there's, there's people that you think are the villain and at moments mm-hmm. they kind of look villainous Villainous. Mm -hmm. um and Mm -hmm. uh and you think that oh that's the person that you know is actually the bad guy or whatever yeah there's the problem yep there's the problem yep um and then i think here's my here's my thinking on that and then i think what you find the villain to be is the unspoken culture and expectation that is placed upon people in that and I don't mm-hmm. mean cultures in the Colombian culture, because I think this is right. like the, the theme, the truth that here is transcendent of any particular culture. Um, but but the um, the expectations and the high standards in this movie, it's the high standards mm-hmm. of perfection, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and um, and the presentation um, and the, um, the the outward appearance mm-hmm. and 
And man, that we need, I'm so glad that they named that. I mean, that, that, that Disney chose to dive yes. in and just and uh, tackle that because they did it in such a great, amazing way that I hope um, it speaks to kids and kind of plants that seed in kids like early on. Um, yeah. 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 I, that, who, who, I mean, I, do you, what do you think about the villain? I mean, like, I no, how I think you you're, I think that? you're right on. I think all the antagonist, any, anti antagonizing elements come from within the characters themselves who are you know if we're being binary about this you know we would place them in the good category right right and that's that's what i think is so impressive about this as as a children's movie that the formula is let's have some black and white let's have the good yep. guy and the bad guy and all this yeah and in this there's it's not even like there is somebody who seems bad. Um, but then, you know, it's a little ambiguous. It's it's just like, there really is an absence of somebody who is actively doing right. harm, doing right. evil. And I, I think that's just, that's powerful for kids to see that, so much of the time in life the pain that we suffer is just from inside ourselves mm. or just from mm -hmm. what is placed uh, pushed upon us by family or society right. or whatever else and and we'll definitely get deeper into into that yeah. um but like until you can stand on your own and and say i will not measure myself and my worth against these expectations mm -hmm. um i will you know, the end of the movie um abuela says to maribel that you're more than your gift the miracle yeah. is you miracle when you gift. recognize that you are you know enough to your gift right yeah uh, yeah that you are a gift and nothing can stop you throw any yeah. antagonist at you and then maybe you begin to realize that and I, I don't want to oversimplify i know that there is that there is evil in this world yep. um but at the same time when i see somebody that seems to be as evil as someone who might invade another country full of innocence um I also hold that intention with how broken and disturbed and um, insecure mm -hmm. and fearful mm -hmm. such a person might be for whatever reasons, whatever happened in his or her past, um, whatever, you mm -hmm. know, genetic stuff is, is flowing and whatever it is, chemicals are in the brain, all those sorts of things. But I, I think that, um, I don't think there have to be antagonists in this right. world. Right. Um, I think that, you know, and, and through Christ, mm -hmm. through, through God revealed in Jesus and love made flesh and Jesus showing us the only true way to save this world is through a love that suffers. And even to the point of death for others, that through that, we can see that there there is an opportunity to be protagonist in, in mm. all of us mm -hmm. and, and you don't have to have 
antagonists in order to be a protagonist. Right. Yeah. I think when you, when you hear Jesus say something, um, uh, like, um, like in Matthew 25, let's take that for example, um, separating the, the, uh, sheep and the goats, right. Um, there will come a time when, um, you know, when the, uh, the king will sit on the throne and separate the sheep from the goats and the, the mm-hmm. ones on the right will say, you know, where were you when, um, you know, and they'll say he separates, I mean, Jesus creates like a little bit of a binary um, in that situation. Um, and I think the simplistic reading of those passages of scripture like that, when Jesus is creating the binary is to say that there are sheep and there are goats in this world. Um, and there are people who, um, you know, uh, who serve the poor and there are people who oppress the poor and there are people. Mm-hmm. And I think what Jesus the, the, I think the more nuanced reading of that, and I think that what Jesus is getting at in a lot of his passages in which he's teaching and preaching is there is a sheep and a goat in each of you. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are times in your life when you will be like a sheep and there are times in your life when you will be like a goat. Yeah. And, um, and, and it's kind of like when there, when you um, separate the, the wheat from the chaff, like there's mm-hmm. wheat and there's chaff in all of you. Um, yeah. and my yeah. job is to like help, like the, the way of following mm. me is the way of helping to separate that out yes. so that you can live into that protagonist life that you're saying so that you can live into that sheep filled life so that mm-hmm. you can live into that, uh, wheat filled life, that, that life giving life, um, as opposed to being the person that constantly trips your own self up, right. <laughs> or, or trips up, um, uh, or doubts your own self. I, you know, mm. I fully agree with you on this, Paul. I think that's a brilliant, brilliant takeaway from this. I, I you know, I didn't. That wasn't, um, I hit something along those lines, but it wasn't quite with, um, with that language of saying that there's a protagonist and an antagonist kind of in each of us. Um, yeah. that's good. Yeah. Well, what, what, what did that's you good. have that was, uh, that was close to it? Yeah. Um, oh man, there's a lot to unpack, Paul. I, I think that there's, <laughs> I mean, like, I know. uh, yeah, well, with this is, this is one of those. This is after first watch, right? I mean, Sears. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So there's there's a lot to unpack. One of the things I thought was great in this movie is um, is kind of it, it tapped into and helped to unpack a little bit of an understanding about the prophetic tradition. Um, mm, right. Yes. So you have someone like Bruno who is seen to be a prophetic character. Right. Mm-hmm. And this idea of. Of holding up uh, this idea of of um, kind of fortune telling, and there's like superstition around him, and there's yeah. um, looking into the future, and there's um, a, a lot of things about um, yeah. just kind of forward thinking. And I think yeah. for a lot of people, uh, the prophetic to to say prophetic, mm-hmm. they think fortune telling and, and seeing into the future. Mm-hmm. And the truth of the matter is, is it's prophetic is holding up a mirror to the present moment, right. Um, is being able to, um, to look at the present realities that you're facing is being able to speak truth to power is being able to name painful things. Um, it is not so much forecasting fortune telling what's going to happen, but holding up a mirror. And that's what the biblical tradition of prophecy does. I think throughout scripture, we often think of it as, uh, you know, I think a lot of people think crystal balls and a lot of people yep. think what Bruno looked like, um, yep. with like kind of his visions yeah, and things that, like that. Yeah. Well, and, and there's a line in there. Your fate is sealed when your prophecy is read. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the future telling. Right. And think about, think about how they dressed him too. Right. Um, Yep. You know, with the, like, yeah. yeah, I mean, he, if, you know, if you were to look in your, to your church's costume closet uh, for profit outfit, I guarantee you'd find exactly uh, what Bruno was dressed in. Right. Totally. Uh, But I think, 
what there was one scene um kind of where bruno and uh mirabelle are are talking and they're they're kind of they're they're in the kind of the commons area of their house i guess and they're, they're going back and forth and they're trying to figure out what they're supposed to do and uh bruno doesn't really want to look at the 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 future again and mirabelle is trying to convince him and he he does this like superstition thing where he throws salt over his shoulder and he does something <laughs> else and you know and it's yeah. it's kind of like playing on it's kind of not mocking but it is like naming that a lot of people think that prophetic is um is a little bit more superstitious than it actually is when prophetic yeah. is really what bruno does is holds a mirror up to yes. society yes and that's what the people are and quite frankly the thing that he does do that is um more aligned to the prophetic tradition in the biblical text is that he is shunned for it and is forced yes, out because people yep. don't like to hear it right and yep, so that's exactly what i was going to say Prophets there's just no friends Oh, they ain't got no friends, man. They have to hide in the walls of the um, ha magical house. Yep. So, um, <laughs> so, sorry. Spoiler alert. Uh, if you haven't seen this, you should have turned off the podcast about <laughs> a long time ago. <laughs> so, um, but I think that there's something about that, you know, and there's something truthful about it because he he kind of the premise of the story, uh, part of the storyline is that Mirabelle has the power to 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 do right um, and to be engaged. It's it's. And, and that's true of truthful of the prophetic tradition as well. Is this not this thing that is going to happen in the future? It's holding up a mirror so that you are mm -hmm. um, um, taking an honest look at the circumstances that you're in and you turn from it. Right. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, that is the nature of what the prophetic uh, yes. prophets do. Yeah. Um, it, it, and I think that there's just something about, to me, it taps a little bit into prayer life as well. And when prayers become wishes, Mm -hmm. uh, and we, you know, as opposed to hope, which is a foundational hope for the future, right? There's a difference mm -hmm. between wishing and hoping. Like hoping is is I believe, and I know this is true. Um, uh, a wish is a little bit more fantasy, mm -hmm. um, and that's also I think the line that's a little bit drawn there between Bruno and and, and Mirabelle mm -hmm. and what he actually does or what his family's perception of Bruno is versus what Mirabelle's understanding of him is. Yeah. Um, yeah. When our prayers stop at, at wishes for the future and don't. Um, don't flow from our lips in the words that we speak to one another or the, and they don't compel us to, to move with our feet and they don't strengthen our backs and they don't enable our hands to do the work and to live into um, the change that prophets call us to change towards or the future that God calls us towards, then, then our prayers are nothing more than wishes. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that, that that to me was just a little bit, there were glimmers of that all throughout that yeah. relationship between Bruno and his family. So yeah, I thought that was important. I thought, that no, was that's, yeah, that's beautiful, man. Um, and as you, you talk about, you know, Bruno um, holding up the, the mirror as, as a prophet, it's, it's interesting. He, you know, when he gets a vision, it's on, you know, a, a, a mirror like right. Right. Uh, type of, um, you know, piece of glass or something like that. Yeah. And, and, um, and, but I love how you mentioned that the prophetic vision, it's not, it's not a crystal ball. It's not, this is exactly what's going to happen. Um, we see that with that vision that he had of Mirabel standing in front of the uh, broken house. The thinking was that Mirabel was going to be the one who causes the house to fall down. Whereas right. in the end, it ended up that she was going to be the one who fixes it. And, right. you know, we look at, we look at, you know, prophecy and 
it is easy and it is tempting and boy oh boy it can make for a nice tidy little sermon when we say see isaiah said this and right. then here comes Jesus and right. he yeah. checks all those checks boxes, all the boxes. Right. prophecy fulfilled. And I'm not saying that there's not an element of that, but I'm saying that that's not the only element of that. Right. Was Isaiah, which Isaiah, by the way, not even to mention sure. that, but was Isaiah <laughs> talking, thinking literally specifically about this, this one point in time, you know, however many centuries into the future where this thing that is the incarnation would take place? Um, or is he speaking about uh, the suffering of God's people in, in the moment that, that he inhabited? And mm-hmm. um, was, was he thinking about the salvation that they needed um, at, at that point and, and the type of uh, person that mm-hmm. would need to uh, come to deliver them in their current situation? You know, because the, the prophets were were people and 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 they weren't all knowing and i think um i think if many of them lived to see uh, the messiah be jesus they would say oh wow how cool not i don't think they would be saying well yeah duh i that's what i said was going to happen i think they would say Oh, I see how it all pieces, you know, I, I get that it's a yes. And, you know, I love improv and things like that. one of the rules there is, you know, you don't, you don't say no to an idea. You, you build on it. It's yes. And, and I think that with the prophets, their prophecies are, yes, this is the word that is needed for this present time. Um, and it's because it's truth, it's Mm -hmm. relevant centuries later as well Mm. and um and 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 so that it was that way with with uh uh, mirabelle and uh and and the prophecy you know it it meant different things at different times why do you think people are so you're hitting on something why is it why do you think people are so um resistant to prophetic voices I mean, one great question, and that is absolutely a theme of this. You know, yeah. like you said, that he got banished. Um, right. You know, I mean, that's the premise of the whole song. We don't talk about Bruno, right? Because he's so his ben, voice changes him. Yeah. Okay, there was a sermon I preached at one point in my long, long career as yeah. a, a preacher, which not very uh, yeah. long, but uh, just to try and make it as as general as possible where um i just felt inspired to speak some truth that that i felt needed saying uh and and not yeah. that i felt within paul's own heart because i'm i'm not one of those preachers I, i'm a pe- people pleaser by nature yeah. um yeah. the the prophetic uh um Station. prophetic is not a people pleaser um the right yeah, yeah yeah the the prophetic role that the, the preacher is called to fill pastor is called to fill is is not one that comes naturally to me and it's very much a mm, i don't wanna but i i know i i need to and this was such an occasion and i said um what i felt led and inspired by the holy spirit of god to say and uh people reacted like you you know not everybody but but there was plenty of of folks who didn't respond well to 
that. And I was talking with a, a friend about it and cause it was, you know, I would have made a terrible profit because my skin is thinner <laughs> than most, although it's, it's thickening up. You have a couple of those experiences and it thickens you up pretty quick. But, yeah. and I was, you know, I was why, you know, lamenting and sort of sad and all this stuff. And he's just looked at me and said, dude, people don't like being told to eat their vegetables. Hmm. And yeah. that's, that's one of those, I type that up. I print it out. I put it in my office somewhere type of things, because yeah. I think that, yeah, we don't like hearing what we know is true. I don't right. like hearing what I know is true. I don't like it when my wife tells me why I'm doing something or behaving in such a way because she knows me so well and yeah. she knows my faults and, and my failures and the things in me that I don't want to own. And that, mm. because if I own them, that means that I have to face them. And if I have to face them, I have to either change them or live with them. And neither of those mm -hmm. is fun. And yeah. I think that that's why all throughout history, humans have, have hated that. And so when truth is spoken, it becomes very easy to uh, point a finger back if we have those around us who will help us to feel comforted and safe in doing so, right? If, mm -hmm. if it's a whole lot harder to resist truth, if all these fingers are proclaiming it, but mm -hmm. the prophets did not operate in packs <laughs> and, right. um, and yeah, so I think that it's difficult because one, people don't like being told to eat their vegetables. And two, there are enough people who will say, it's okay. You don't have to eat your vegetables. That person telling you to eat their vegetables is stupid. They're, they're, they're dumb. Right. They're fake news. They're whatever. Then you can say, oh, okay. Well, I'm yeah. just going to lay back with the folks who say, I don't need to eat my vegetables. Yeah. You know, I think you, you, that's, those are those are great points. I mean, like it's, it is so hard to hear the thing that you know to be true because deep down inside, most of the time, the prophets are speaking something that is known, right? It, that it, that is yeah. a, a certainty, and and people dance all around it. It's like you, you see it with children. I mean, I've got an eight month old at home, and um, and to draw to to place boundaries is is not like the most enjoyable thing for him um, to have those boundaries. One of the one of the other things I think about too is is that there sometimes prophets um, are called to say something that that has flipped a person's understanding of of anything that they've ever known, and I think that sometimes you said you said a second ago that um, the analogy of improv, religion is improv, right? Mm -hmm. Our lives are improv. The yes and piece of of improv uh, causes our our perspectives to be broadened in a way. And I think that people deep down like boxes. They like boundaries. Yes, sir. Yeah. And I'm not certain that God does, right? I'm not certain that God necessarily likes to be put in a box. Yeah. I'm not necessarily certain that God would like to be put in my little, um, you know, uh, perspective of what I have right now, you know, growing up in North Carolina, like living mm -hmm. in North Carolina, practically my whole life. I've never really spent significant periods of time outside from a culture around the world that I don't know from a, even a Christian perspective around the world that I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, and so people I don't think are, in, are comfortable with improv because they like certainty. They like predictability. They like they scripts. Like, they like scripts, right? They, they like, they like stand up more than they like improv. Um, 
um, or being a part of stand up more than improv because it's mm-hmm. just a scripted, you know, where it's going to go, you know, how it's going to end, you know, how it's going to all shake out um, is, is, is what people appreciate. I think a little bit more. So I don't, you know, I don't know. It, it just, it's interesting that you mentioned the improv piece. Cause I think that it's hard for a lot of folks. Yeah. I, I think you're, I mean, that's, that's dead on. So t- we haven't really hit on one of the, one of the huge themes, um, that, mm-hmm. you know, I think is most obvious in this, um, which is a family and, mm. um, yeah, you know, we in ministry in church, we deal with that so much. And, and I don't know, um, if you took any classes like this uh, when you were in, um, divinity school or seminary, but, I will tell you that the class that I probably use the most, the the, the knowledge that I, I gained from it, I probably used the most was not like a New Testament or Old Testament or Greek or Hebrew, um, not something about congregational leadership. Um, I, I, I use a lot of that stuff, go back to those notes often. But the most impactful class was about family systems theory. Mm. Um, and particularly how family systems theory is applicable to organizations like churches, Mm -hmm. uh, which are in essence, very large families. And so did a lot of reading by Edwin Friedman, who kind of was a groundbreaker in thinking about applying family systems to, um, religious contexts and uh, wrote a a famous book generation to generation and um for those who aren't familiar uh family systems theory or bowen family systems theory as as many often refer to it um is just generally speaking of theory that families function as um systems and when you know in, in in a system if you look at it like a you know like a network of gears and things, a machine that runs, um, every one piece affects the other piece. And, um, it has rules that it sort of functions by, and it has habits that it sort of falls into. Um, and so when something goes wrong in a system, uh, or a family, you can typically, um, diagnose it through some of the the rules of of family systems uh, theory and so one of those for instance is the rule of the identified patient um, and the identified patient is basically the idea that when there's stress in a system or in a family um, it's going to come out like we try to push it down we try to hide it we try to close it in the walls, right? Like yep. Bruno. Right. Um, but it is going to come out some way because families, uh, didn't say this earlier, but they're like living organisms. It, they are. And so if you stress your body in some way, um, that stress is going to be made manifest somehow, even if it seems weirdly unconnected. And so with the identified patient, the stress is, uh, 
made manifest in that person. And so we see it like with the kid who is wetting the bed. Right. And so mm-hmm. it seems like, oh, he's the problem. You know, he's he's wetting the bed. What is what do we have to do and dig a little deeper? And maybe it's somehow connected to the fact that he saw daddy with another woman um, and daddy is making him keep this big secret. And mm-hmm. so the bedwetting starts or, mm-hmm. um, you know, the guy at work is a major jerk to everybody and um, just a, a complete, you know, chauvinist and all this sort of stuff. And why is he behaving that way? And then you get to the home and like he, his wife, you know, just bosses him around and he has no voice mm-hmm. and all this sort of stuff. So identify patient in this movie. It's absolutely Mirabelle. Mm-hmm. Um, she's the one that everybody's looking to saying you're the problem. She's the mm-hmm. one without the gift. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's, it's not true. Uh, there's nothing wrong with her. Um, her gift is actually being the one who, helps to dig down and figure out well, what's going on behind the walls of this mm-hmm. family. What, yeah. what stress have we, have we hidden? What shame are we covering up? And then when we expose that, then our house can be whole again. We're going to have to break it down. It's going to mm-hmm. be painful yep. uh, because whenever you change one piece of the system, other pieces have to react. And that's mm-hmm. what happened with that house. But in the end, uh, but because another another part of family systems theory is um, is secrets. I can't remember exactly mm-hmm. what they call it, but um, uh, you know, families have secrets, things that we don't talk about. Right? right. We don't talk about Bruno. Right. We don't talk about how Grandpa drank. We don't talk about how Uncle Steve killed himself. We don't talk about you know um, Aunt so and so's child that was put up for adoption um you know we we, Mm. families do it all the time Mm -hmm. um and bruno was was that secret and he he lived in the walls of the house he was even though they couldn't they didn't talk about him he was all around them the whole time i love that they made that decision to put him in the house like um it it it, mirabelle says Mirabelle says at one point, I don't understand why you left, but didn't leave. Mm. That's what happens with family secrets. They don't leave. We think that that they that they leave, but they don't. And, you know, to take it and make it, you know, applicable to, uh, you know, a biblical sense or whatever. Think about somebody like Joseph, right? And his brothers right. who right. there's this horrible trauma that that happens. And, and you know, they they leave him for dead and tell his father lie to their dad and they live with this secret quote unquote all their lives and it basically you know it's it's ripping them apart you know you look at the brothers from that point on none of them are are living very happy lives none of them are, are very fulfilled you know the the residue of this secret lingers with them always until you know chapters later uh, when it's finally revealed that that you know joseph is um their brother and 
uh, Joseph sits with the residue of, of that secret as well. So I just, there's so much uh, family systems stuff in here that, that I think like, I think a counselor, I think a therapist would just look at this and, and find it to be a gold mine in term. I would love to sit down with, with one of them and just pick up on all the things that they notice. Yeah. One of the things, you know, you, you talk about that. I'm, I'm glad you talked about it from a personal family standpoint. Um, I think that it's critical, right. To, to be able to, to, to dive into that on a personal level. And it's so true. The, the point about Bruno and the family tickets, like living all around people, um, there's so much of that, but, but that's not even just family secrets. I actually looked at this whole thing. You're talking about the nuclear family. I looked at all of this through the lens of the church, through ecclesiology, through the nature of like one body of Christ, multiple gifts, right? I mean, when they talk about gifts immediately, first Corinthians, right? Then we can go to it. And you're just thinking about the, um, the one by in the, the multiple gifts that we have and that we share with one another. But I think that for so many people, at least in my congregation, they would probably identify with Mirabelle uh, in the sense mm-hmm. of thinking that they have no gift, right? That yeah. they have no special powers, that there are so many people out there that have these profound gifts that fit within and they wonder what, what it is that they can contribute to the life of the family or the life of the church. Um, and, and, you know, the, like you said, the quote earlier about the, you're more than your gift. The miracle is you, um, I think is a profound thing for a lot of, at least a lot of people that I, I encounter in church, um, to hear, uh, that there's belovedness, but I, I just saw the whole thing, you know, I, it's fascinating that you looked at through this specific family. And I just thought as a, as a microcosm for the church universal for like an yeah. ecclesiological, ecclesiological, let's kind of introduce some of our kids to the world of Disney ecclesiology, because this is what it was about, you know? Um, And that's what, that's something that was huge to me and seeing the cracks and how the outside, especially the, the, the way in which the outside community watched that those cracks happen, you know, the point where Mm -hmm. they get really panicked because there is um, the magic is being lost and Mm -hmm. there's cracks and they're wondering, and there's all, almost this question of, was the magic ever real? Was it just a facade? Is it just, is it like invincible, as invincible as it says it is? And I sometimes wonder if the division in the church doesn't cause the community around us to go, that's not real. I'm not really sure. I look at all those cracks mm-hmm. in that church yep. and in the, uh, in the division fights that they're going on. And like the townspeople in the movie, they're looking at us thinking, uh, maybe maybe there's an expiration date on yeah. the relevance of the church. Uh, Preach man. So that's, I don't that's, know. That's I think, but I think it's true. I think it's true at the, at the family level. I think it's true at the church level. I mean, there's, there's ways in which this movie can be read. I think we're mm-hmm. all saying a similar thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, family systems theory can be true for uh, the church too. Right. Um, for the way yeah. in which we engage with one another. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you know, an, another huge thing with systems theory is that, in church, we might use the language of sin or evil or, um, you know, darkness or whatever as uh, that antagonistic force. Um, in systems theory, you would use the word anxiety mm-hmm. um, and that all of the problems that we encounter in our families and congregations as a church, if you have a problem, trace it back to where's the source of the anxiety. Mm. Where's, where's the system feeling anxious and why is it because numbers have dropped? Is it because 
so-and-so gave a whole lot of money and they just died? Is it because there's uh, a new preacher and she's younger and she's got some ideas that maybe are a little bit, you know, scary to some of us. Um, and then, you know, when you, you'll see issues arise in a church and much like the family with the identified patient, whatever that issue is, 99 times out of a hundred, it's not about that issue. It's about some deeper source of anxiety. And you spoke yeah. of that when you noticed the people watching the cracks and they mm -hmm. were, they were being made anxious. They were mm -hmm. upset, you know, getting worried about um, this thing falling apart. You talked about anxiety. It turns out that every person in this movie has anxiety. Um, mm -hmm. Right. Um, and that they all, the everybody in the family has some form of anxiety. It's Mirabelle who has the anxiety of not knowing what her gift is. It's the, uh, and I can't remember all of the characters' names, but yeah. is it like Luis that is the strong one that yeah. like mm -hmm. anxiety of, of, of being seen as weak because she gets upset. It's um, the perfect, the one that's perfect, the perfect at all times um, mm -hmm. who, who um, the fear of perfection It's the mom who's carrying on the legacy, the grandma, the abuela who's carrying on the legacy, right? Um, there's a level of anxiety across the board and it goes back to what we started with, with which is this idea of just the, the demands and the internal expectations that we have for ourselves that quite frankly, we're nurtured by society um, and, and implanted in us by a society that demands a level of perfection. And this is also a little bit of where I saw hints of the, the church in this, uh, at least the church that like, like we're seeing kind of all around us, maybe not my own church, but um, I'm sure it's true here, but that demand for uh, perfection um, mm -hmm. and that, um, that demand for something that's shiny and polished. And I loved the song that the two sisters sing Mirabelle and the one that's perfect when they sing together um, where they've created something new. And she says this one line, the perfect one um, says, I'm so sick of pretty. I want something true, um, mm -hmm. which I thought was just uh, a really important thing, particularly around. I'm just going to say this particularly around like the way that the church functions like in worship and the way that like the, the consumeristic church kind of exists right now, where mm. it's about um, I want something polished and shiny and that has a great band that has like the lights and the yes. smoke. Um, yes. I love it. Um, I want a sermon that is perfect every week. I want, you know, and, and there is a demand, there's a demand for that, mm -hmm. I think. Um, but what I've found recently, and I think COVID has brought this around is that COVID has, has brought this lyric to truth, like, which is, I'm so sick of pretty, I want something true. Yes. And what I've found among some of, some of at least the congregants that I've spoken to recently is that like, if you have to choose between performative and relational, they're going to choose relational. If you have to choose between perfection and faithful, they're going to choose faithful every time. If you have to choose between pretty and truth, they're going to choose true. And I think that the hope that I see from COVID in particular, is it slicing up some of those demands for perfection? Because all mm -hmm. of us, like in the world of COVID, man, I, I don't know if this is true for you, and because uh, I know that you you've um, have have made a recent transition in churches, and so you live mostly the COVID life in a different um, place, area, a site for ministry. Right. But but 
there was no getting things perfect. I mean, the thing that ate away at me the most was that we did a lot of video stuff. And so there was the opportunity to make it perfect, the temptation, because you can yes. go back and edit yep. the video yes, sir. and you can do it. Let's do one more take of it. I almost got it. Um, yep. And during a worship service, I mean, I would record my sermon two or three times or at least like stop for probably the first few months of COVID. I'd stop like once or twice and like say, let's start over um, in a, in a worship space, you can't do that. I can't no. say, oh, let me just start over. I just, you just yep. have to keep going. And it's something, I don't know, something's coming to light a little bit for the church that gives me a lot of hope that people are are over the shiny and the polished and the perfect yes. Yes. and really leaning into the true and the faithful and the relationship and and, um, and the beauty that is discovered in the imperfection uh, yes. thing, of, of families, you know? Um, yes. Yeah. They so. want... They want something real, right? Yeah. And and I mean, take it back to that magical house. Like right. nobody in the town could relate to that. Right. You know, it wasn't real. It wasn't. Right. Um, right. And in the end, what happened was they stopped being magic. They stopped yep. being untouchable. Yeah. And they... <laughs> they started being real you know i think about the right, yeah. thinking about the real world but um <laughs> but but that's what happened and and on the other side it, it, another theme that i noticed um was was that of overfunctioning um you know like the family madrigal was overfunctioning and and doing everything for the community um such that the community relied entirely upon them. And so when it started to fall apart, there was that mm -hmm. anxiety. And I see themes there as well uh, when, you know, the church tries to see itself as like, I don't know, if you, maybe for lack of a better word, the savior of a community. Right, right. same um, village. Yep. Yeah, yeah. As opposed to, a partner in the community right, and right. um and you know there's the philosophy of of missions that has sure has changed for the most part hopefully where you know when you and i were growing up you, you go on a mission trip you go somewhere for a week as you know a a, a savior because you're painting the house you know in yeah. this impoverished yeah. neighborhood uh well congratulations you leave in the in the neighborhood's still impoverished but um right. you know what if what if you're a part of that neighborhood and what if you live in that neighborhood and what if you build relationships there and and come up uh partner alongside those who uh live there and have power there and and um you know ingrain yourself in that community so that together uh, you all can help make it better and you can bring your gifts the gifts um, that the church has um, but it can never be the hey yeah just give it to us and we'll fix it you know right. like right. everything what like Louisa running around that village here get pick this up I need this fixed da, 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 mm -hmm. da. Um, the church can't shouldn't function that way but you know what it's it's easier if we think that we can because it allows mm -hmm. us to remain at a distance totally yeah from people um yeah i don't have to do the relationship piece i don't have to like see or it removes the empathy piece i don't have to like see or experience the pain i can just go experience the joy 
of providing solution. Um, mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it, it's the difference between service. I mean, it's the difference between service and justice. Like, mm. I mean, I like to dive into that. I mean, that's that's a very long tangent road that we can go down, which I'm not sure if this is the movie to do that on. But but there is a little bit you're, you're touching into it a little bit of like doing for as opposed to doing with. Yeah. And um, yeah, so definitely um you know you were talking about not wanting something pretty but wanting something that was true True. um one of the things uh abuela in one of the scenes she's speaking to uh pedro her um her husband uh, who uh, died um and sort of you know helped to create this miracle through his death um she's speaking to his picture and she says if our family knew how vulnerable we really Mm -hmm. are really were yeah yeah and uh and that dude i mean that's that's exactly uh, vulnerable is real right and Mm -hmm. so her whole life everything that she's built there as the guardian of this miracle has been to maintain the illusion of perfection and invulnerability and Mm -hmm. that's right up my alley in terms of of Mm -hmm. things to talk about because i think that that is speaking of the church as as something pretty as opposed to something gritty right the church Mm -hmm. as as something you know perfect and, and and magical and city on a hill and all this sort of stuff versus um versus something that is real and on the ground and um just honest and truthful and i think you know you were you were you know talking about it a moment ago but that that's what people respond to that's what people are thirsty for it's it's reality it's vulnerability it's seeing that the the people behind these fancy robes and the the people you know behind these big tall pulpits that they're people too yeah and if the people behind those pulpits and those robes can demonstrate that then maybe the people in the pews can feel enough permission themselves to say oh okay i can live and be real and authentic in front of the mm-hmm. world and 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 be who i am um mm-hmm. and and we can start mending the cracks in yeah. this wonderful but flawed building you know building yeah. institution whatever yeah um but but it takes um it takes being real Yes. One of the beautiful, you know, the, and I think that if there was ever a book that showed how real the church is, it's the entire Bible. Right. And I think that one of the things (laughs) is, is that we, um, we, we don't, we don't focus on the passages of scripture enough that shows the flaws in, 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 um, in the, in the history of Christian scripture, somehow we've yes. looked at, we, somehow people look at the scripture as like this moral guide as this story of beautiful people and amazing things and how, how, uh, how wonderful their gifts were. I mean, it's, it's like, we look at scripture, like the way you look at that magical family, they were mm-hmm. all like amazing people who had amazing superhuman strength and superhuman, whatever. And, and yet not one of them is not majorly flawed or, or incredibly. Yes. Um, well, I could, well, one of them, one of them. Right, right, yeah, right, right. <laughs> true, very true. Uh, but the family of God, 
right um, is one that is is deeply flawed um and i remember who was it it's a walter brueggemann that might have said that or no 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 um natalie uh nadia bowlsweber i think said that uh that the Bible is basically like the family photo album of God's dysfunctional family. Um, I love that. Uh, and, and it's just like the, the idea that it's these stories of people who are somehow we've remembered them as having superhuman strength, or we've like just switched the story just a little bit, but really they're deeply flawed people who have major vulnerabilities, who, um, who are equipped by God to do what it is that they're called to do. Mm-hmm. It's not that they came in necessarily with the strength themselves. Um, and it goes back to that kind of cheesy quote that I've heard like my whole life is that God doesn't call the equipped. God equips the called. Right. Yeah, um, right. Uh, but, but there's truth to that, right. There's truth to like um, of it being a group of people who are just devoted and authentic and real and willing to love one another and accept the flaws of one another. And they can do amazing things as a result of it. You yep. know? So, yep. Yeah. I love the family photo at the end of the, the picture yes. um, or at the end of the movie where, where it's like just the most, and that's where I thought the dysfunctional photo, I was like, that's great. That, yeah. that to me is like the dysfunctional photo album. Um, yeah. I love that too. Yeah. Cause it was, there was a, there was a blurry, you know, there's a tiger running through it. The tiger running through the picture. Were blurry yeah. and some of them weren't looking, but you notice the difference. There were two family photos that were taken. One was after, um, the little Antonio's, I, I think his name yeah. was, uh, his, uh, receiving of the gift and, oh, it was, it was literally picture perfect, but absolutely uh, Mirabelle wasn't in it. And, right. um, and then there's this one at the end that is some might say imperfect, but I would say for that very reason, quite perfect. Um, that includes yeah. her. Everybody has authentic smiles on their face. Um, there's no, you know anxiousness or um you know no facade trying to hold everything together it's just natural and um yeah i love that so go ahead well i was gonna ask you know what do you think is um is mirabelle's gift i think you hinted at it um earlier but what would you you know my wife was out. My wife knew I was watching this. She went upstairs. She watched the first part of it. She came back down and she said, wait, what, what was, what did Mirabelle's gift wind up being ultimately yeah. being? And I was like trying to describe it. And I thought, well, that's a really good question. Um, well, Ben for this, I'm going to defer to my nine-year-old yeah. because <laughs> as Always we were gonna. watching, he made a comment that just really stuck with me. And I wrote it down. He said, man, Mirabelle is good at telling the truth. Mm. She is bad at lying. Mm, mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah. I think I, I think it's somewhere in that area of yeah. not only telling the truth, but not being afraid of the truth. She was the only one who wasn't afraid of Bruno. You know, she yeah. was the only one who, you know, wasn't afraid to see, well, well, what happens if this prophecy comes true or, or whatever, like what's, what's the next step. And, um, you know, I think her gift was being imperfect and yeah, right. uh, unapologetically. So, because yeah. that is what literally saved the family. Yeah. I think that's true. I think that her and, and her ability to invite others into that, to invite others to take off their mask, right. Mm-hmm. To take off the, 
the the facade of perfection yes to lay down to lay down their burdens um like right um mm-hmm. uh to you know uh her yoke is easy um a little bit you know yeah. just uh maybe yeah. making some illusions there mm-hmm. i think that there is a and i wonder if 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 our responsibility is the church. If our, our gift to the world is the church might be the same as Mirabelle's Mirabelle's to like invite yes. them into a, a, a life of authenticity, um, trusting in God's grace, trusting that in the imperfection, um, we are actually kind of made perfect in that, in that, con- that weird paradox, um, hmm. in acknowledging our imperfections, we are kind of made perfect, I think, um, by God's grace. So I don't know. I, I wrestled with that question all day today. Um, and I think that you, you and I are synced on it. Um, yeah. So, well, way to go, way to yay. go. Well, yeah, I, you know, we can keep talking, but we're not going to do any better than that. So, uh, <laughs> and a preacher's yeah. got to know when to quit, right? That's right. Yep. Don't add another paragraph to the sermon. No, that's yep. all right. People are hungry. Let them, let them get to, uh, yeah. Let them get to the buffet. So, well, this, yeah, this was great. I loved, uh, love talking in Canto and, um, uh, we encourage anybody who hadn't seen it to, to please, yeah. uh, please go do so. Uh, you won't, you won't regret it. Um, yeah. so we were talking about what to do next and, totally. um, yep. Ready and for it. we recognize that, you know, like I said, we've got, we've had a musical sort of theme going on. Um, all, all of them have, um, you know, maybe have, you know a little bit of lightness to them even diana had had a little bit of um you know lightness yeah um and it was a bouncy movie it was a bouncy yeah yeah Yeah. and you know ben if we talk if we're talking my personal cinematic tastes i like the darker stuff man Mm. I, i i like i like a good uh thriller a good drama a good um yeah. you know suspense type of movie and and i'll tell you what i really really like is batman yeah. uh, i that, you yeah. you sound just Did like i take him. the word right out of your yeah thanks if man i appreciate it the yeah. only reason that i knew that you weren't telling the truth is because you have a mustache and it would show up in the cowl if you had it yeah i couldn't i could never be batman <laughs> right but I'm just saying, Batman and I haven't been seen in the same room together. I'm just saying. That that is true. Yeah. <laughs> You're not off the suspect list. Um <laughs> but uh yeah, so uh I've I've yeah. seen I've seen the Batman a couple times. I think you said you've seen it. Uh yep. and um yep. it's on HBO Max right now. And uh so uh, that's what we're what we're gonna look at next. And and I'll just I'll just say, um, I mean, when I say I like Batman, I mean I, I really, really like Batman. I love the mythos. I love the, um, the themes around it. I, um, it is to me, one of those, uh, uh, you know, things that I can just keep going back to and going back to and, and always drawing something, um, fun and intriguing from so um and it's nostalgic and all that sort of good stuff. So um, there are a lot of layers. There are a lot of layers. Yeah. Definitely. And they're different, all different takes. All the different like kind of eras of Batman have taken a different angle, and that's yeah. that's good. Yeah, yeah. It's so it never gets old. It never gets old. It never does, and it never stops making yeah. money, which is good. That's that means right. we'll keep we'll get have Batman we'll until we are no more. So, yeah. um, yes, if you're listening along with us, 
catch the Batman and uh, yep. we'll be discussing it. And yep. uh, same reviewers time, same reviewers channel, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, Paul, in Kanto, we canonize in this thing. Mm. Oh, I almost forgot. You almost forgot. Whew. You know, Ben, there's so many. There's so many questions. I think about, well, how, how big is our canon? You know, are we are we talking sixty six books of the of the Bible? Yeah. You know, did we talk about this on the first episode, or did we just talk about this separately? I feel like we've talked about it at some point. I uh, we have talked about, it, but I'm not sure if we explained to listeners what we're talking about. Yeah, well, we don't really know what we're doing. Is it is it the sixty six books of of the Bible? Is it? Yeah, are we talking like, you know. A because 66 <laughs> is a lot to keep up with. If we're saying there's 66 slots, throwing Kanto in there, no problem. Um, yeah, uh, are we talking 10 commandments? Ooh, no, we're not doing 10 commandments. That's a, uh, 10 commandments. Let's, uh, yeah, the 10, no, we're not gonna do 10 let's be more grace than law. Yeah, oh, that's exactly right. There's let's pull up a chair, right? Um, yeah. I think I, you know, here's what I think. I think we're in the same position that those people, like at the councils, like had to figure it out. It's like, so what are we really doing here, y'all? What are we really doing? It's exactly the same. Yeah. Are we like, are we starting with you're in, you're in, or are we going to kind of cut away later? What are we doing? Uh, Seriously, what was that? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That must have been Ruth. (laughs) Who said Ruth? Right, right. Ruth. Shut up, Jerry. Right, right. Nobody likes your opinion. Right, yeah. Oh man, that's wild. Yeah. Uh, you know, Paul, I'm going to vote canonization for this. Yeah. And I'm going to start, I'm going to be generous at the beginning and I'll probably start pulling back my votes here soon. But I look at something like Encanto and I look at um, just how beautiful it was. It got, again, it got me, it got me on multiple levels. Um, I think we had a fruitful conversation. I'm yeah. voting. In, so, you know what? I'll, I'll vote for canonization as, as well along those same lines. Like, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm an air on the side of grace type of guy. Um, and, and I remember before we end, I mentioned something that I said I would get to, which was the meaning of Encanto. Oh, yeah. And um, Stephen called out that it means uh, enchantment. And, um, you know, you, you know, mentioned that as well. I Googled it um, just to see, you know, what other variations and um another word was spell like cast a spell and i like that idea i think i don't know if they were going for that in naming this movie in kanto and having that meaning of of you know enchantment but uh, which is we hear enchantment we think whimsical and that sort of thing but you hear spell and it invites this idea of well there's also there can be darkness there there the idea yeah. of a curse there and yeah. uh, living under the um great story of the miracle and maintaining the magic uh was a curse that mm-hmm. they yeah. lived with um yeah. until uh mirabelle through her perfect imperfection uh, broke it and the family could live um, in a much more enchanted, uh, free sort of state. So really I cool, like that a lot. Really That's cool great. double meaning there. And totally. Um, totally quite, quite wise on their part. So, all right. Brilliant. Well, 
I'll, uh, I'll let you get to it, man. And, uh, we'll, uh, see y'all back here next week for Batman. Batman. Well, the, the reviewers, Batman. the yeah. Batman, sorry. Oh, we messed the up. Batman on the reviewers. Yep. We'll have to edit that. All right. <laughs> see you, Paul. <laughs> Bye.